I want to thank our maintenance team for that rail. If you haven't seen it yet, it gets the choir's happy with it, definitely. They've been uh, uh, replaced that step. Just makes it easier for the choir to get up there. Um, I know they miss a guy standing there with his hand out. Uh, but uh, that rail is very nice. It's removable. So if we have events or something that just comes out, this guy's got it going on. I tell you what. All right, Galatians chapter 5. Was, was anybody here a, uh, I don't want to say this, a hippie, a flower child, you know, doobies, dude. Well, we're talking about peace today, okay? Because, okay, so this is one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Now remember, fruit of the Spirit is singular, and there are nine portions of it, so we all have all nine Um you can't say, I just don't have any patience. Yes, you have patience. You just have to work to develop it. It is given to you, and it is part of the fruit that the Christian is to bear. Um, we may think that self-control is a burden to bear, but it is a fruit that we are to bear. So today we look at the third one. Um, and if you're able, would you stand and I'll read chapter 5, verses 22 through the end of the chapter. Our Heavenly Father, come upon us with your Holy Spirit and open our eyes that we might see clearly what your word says and that we might live it out. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians 5, verse 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. In all of recorded history, at least the recorded history that I could find, there are relatively few years when some country or some people group was not at war with another country or another people group. Since uh, the birth of our nation, I put the birth at 1776, um, we had only about 21 years of peace that we as a nation were not in some sort of conflict. As we look at the history of the Middle East, we'll find that that's a very small window of no conflict as well. Uh, there's almost always been some level of war. Now, one of the longest stretches of world peace there ever was was under what was called Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And the reason that the world was at peace is because nobody dared challenge Rome because Rome was so strong during that time. You, you, I mean, they just ruled with an iron fist. So when you're the biggest dog in town, nobody challenges you. So there was peace for a while. But it was a forced peace. Now, in various forms of liberation theology, liberation theology is a form of Marxism and Catholicism 
that, that has its roots back in Central America. There's also black liberation theology, which has its roots uh, pretty much in this country and, and manifests itself uh, in, in various ways today. The lack of peace in the world comes from poverty and oppression. Poverty and oppression comes from the structures of society. Then the structures of society are determined by the ruling classes who have traditionally held all the power in society. So according to various views of liberation theology, if you overthrow the ruling classes and the structures they promote, you can achieve peace, and out of peace, ultimately personal salvation. Now, now what, what one word was missing from that? Jesus. <laughs> they don't mention Jesus very often. You know, personal salvation, if I can just get rid of oppression, I can have peace. And therefore, I can have salvation. Uh, no, that's, that's wrong. Now, the Dalai Lama says we can find peace only through deindustrialization. I'm sure you'll want to get rid of your cars to promote peace. Okay? Uh, a takeoff of the Buddhist view is wars begin in the minds of men. As believers, we might say wars begin where? In the hearts of men. That's where sinfulness is. Now, the phrase, peace for our time, was spoken on September 30th, 1938, by a guy named Chamberlain, okay, in his speech concerning the Munich Agreement and the Anglo-German Declaration, okay? The reason that Chamberlain's peace in our time is remembered is not that his theory of international relations was uh, the, hopelessly naive uh, about Hitler and his intentions, but, but because a year after Chamberlain waved the paper and said it and, and, and sacrificed Czechoslovakia because Hitler promised not to do anything more, Hitler did what? He invaded Poland, okay? And, and that piece of paper was useless and was worthless, and Britain was at war. So is it possible to have peace in the world? Well, it seems that even beyond open war and conflict between individuals, which seems to be almost constant, there's, a, there's conflicts of a personal nature, which are both overt and covert. The overt conflicts are clear. You know, neighbors can't agree on a property line, so they argue over it. Eventually, they take each other to court. They can't be seen together, so they stop coming to church and all over an 18-inch disputed piece of property line and a fence. Now, that was two Presbyterian elders that I know, okay, who lived next door to each other for years until one of them built a fence and the other went, hey, that's on my property, and the other guy said, no, that's on my property. That was the end of their relationship, the end of their involvement in church, just went down the tubes. But there are also those breaches of the peace that we don't even know we commit. Now, this was a revelation to me, not last week when I was, I was the week before when I was working on this. It's called, it's a new way of thinking, it's called a microaggression. Anybody ever heard of a microaggression? I, I, I've probably committed some already today, and you don't even know it, okay? But a microaggression, I'll just give you the history on it. A term was first years used by Dr. Chester Pierce, who was a professor at Harvard in the 70s. And until recently, it was considered academic talk for race theorists and sociologists, but there has been a recent surge in, in the use of this term. Uh, it stems from an article published in 2007 where microaggressions were broken down into microassaults and microinsults and microinvalidations. You following? You got all this micro stuff? 
Um, and they can be, uh, well, let's, let's, let's keep going. There are racial microaggressions, which are brief and commonplace daily verbal behavior or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative racial slights and insults towards people of color. That's the official definition. Those who inflict the racial microaggressions are often unaware that they do so. But there aren't just micro racial, uh, racial microaggressions. There are sexual microaggressions, age microaggressions, height microaggressions, income microaggressions, weight microaggressions, most often committed by those with thin privilege. I, I, I can't make this up, okay? This is, this is what it says. Against those who have a marginalized body, okay? Some of a you, you work next to a Dominican, and, and we got marginalized bodies, okay? They, they're, they're thin, okay? The list of microaggressions that are possible goes on and on and on. I just gave you the, the, the cream of the crop there. And so in a culture that is so obsessed, obsessed with how I might be offended by you, and remember, it is how I feel about what you have done or said that determines the level of offense that I experience. It doesn't matter what you meant. It doesn't matter what the words literally mean. It's how I feel about what you just said. Micro-insults, they're more subtle. It, it, I, uh, microaggressions are pretty subtle to me, but apparently micro-insults are even more subtle. And often the perpetrator has no conscious idea what they have done. And often the one who has received the micro-insult doesn't realize it until later. So like I said, I have probably micro-insulted you three or four times already today, and we're going to have to bring in a sociologist or some expert to help you get over it. Okay? Uh, this, is, you know, this is what it says. So how is it possible that in a world where we are, are looking at microaggressions, that, that you have committed, that I've committed towards you. How can we have peace if we're always looking at how we are offended? How could we ever know peace in a society like this? But yet the fruit of the Spirit says peace. Okay? That is the command that we are to have peace. And we can only have it through Jesus Christ. Okay? That, that does not come. The world will not have peace. Why? Because the world is touched by sin. Everything is touched by sin, tainted by sin. We will not have peace. Now, does anybody have anybody named Irene or have a middle named Irene? Middle name Irene? I, I'm talking to the ladies. Okay. Okay. Well, Irene is the Greek word for peace. That's, that's why I ask here. And the peace that is spoken of here in Galatians uh, chapter 5 is a tranquility of mind based on a right relationship with God. A tranquility of mind based on a right relationship with God. It has nothing to do with circumstances. Nothing to do with circumstances. Remember, it's, it's like joy. Joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. It is part of you because Christ lives within you. You have to work to develop that joy which the Lord gives you. The same thing with peace. The world can be in chaos around you, but you, your heart can be what? You can have a tranquility of mind that is based on your right relationship with God. That is the peace that passes understanding. No matter what happens, you know that everything between you and the Lord is right. 
When you remember that everything that he is doing is for your good. You may not like everything that he does in your life, but it is for your good. And when you come to that conclusion, then you can find peace. Jesus says in John 14, let your heart not be troubled. We're going to look at that chapter here in just a moment. So not only does each believer have a peace that's part of the fruit of the Spirit, we're given a command to exercise that. So let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. It's the passage that we read together earlier, but we'll look at it again. Chapter 4, verse 6, the first words there are a command. Okay? It's an imperative tense. That's, that's, that's what it is. Be anxious for nothing. That's the command. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's the command. Okay? And, and it really doesn't give us any wiggle room. It just states it flat out. This is what we are to be. But you say, oh, hey, Rand, don't you know about the economy? Don't you know what the, the courts did last week? Don't you know that ISIS is over there just chopping heads off of every Christian they can find? The Muslims they don't like, they cut their heads off, they're throwing people off of buildings just because they don't like who they are. Okay, don't you, don't you know everything? Don't you know that the danger our kids are in? Don't you worry about that? Well, I'm aware of those things. I'm mindful of those things. What are you going to do about it? Will, you know, will worrying change it? I know that doesn't make it better, but... But the Lord says, don't be anxious about it. We could come up with a big, long list of things we should worry about, but yet the Lord says, be anxious for nothing. We are commanded to be at peace, but we can only be at peace through the presence of whom in our lives? Jesus Christ. Through the power of whom? The Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's kind of a paradox of the Christian life. You're commanded to have one thing, but you can only have it when you officially yield your will to His will. And when the Holy Spirit and you work together to experience this peace. Now, most people in our world don't understand peace from a, uh, a lack of conflict. Okay, and that's how, what we started out with, a lack of conflict. That's how most people define peace, an absence of trouble. But biblical peace does not focus on the absence of trouble. Biblical peace is a, is a life that is not affected by what goes on outside. Okay? It is experienced internally and is demonstrated in how we respond to the chaos around us. Okay? It doesn't mean that, well, okay, here, I had a buddy, and they had a brother, and this is not me and my brother, this is two other brothers, and they like to throw darts at each other. Okay, this is a guy thing, you know, especially, especially teenage boys, and they would throw darts at each other at their feet, you know, and to see how fast, and every once in a while they would hit each other, well, after dinner one night, they were throwing darts at each other, and one went right into his thigh, okay? And it went all the way into his thigh. So they go to Dad, who is at the dinner table, and he's reading his paper. It's after dinner, he's reading his paper, and they say, oh, you know, Rob's got, well, got this dart in his leg, and the Dad looks at it and says, all right, when I finish my coffee, we'll deal with it. And he puts the paper back up. Dad was at peace, okay? You couldn't ruffle him, okay? There's blood, there's a dart in the leg, 
no big thing, we'll take care of that, okay? It's this inward calm that comes only from the Lord. It doesn't come from society. In fact, the context around you can be in chaos, but you experience peace. Paul is in jail. What are they doing in jail at, at, at Philippi? They're in there singing, singing hymns of praise and, and, and glorifying God. Their hearts were at peace. They're in jail. They might die. Oh, the Lord's got it under control. It's not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of peace. Turn over to John chapter 14. Did this chapter in 25 minutes in the Dominican. It deserved way more than that, but that's all the time we had. Now, these are the words that Jesus leaves with his disciples. Now, they've just finished the Last Supper, and he wants to comfort them. He wants to give them words of peace and leave them with a sense that, that he has things under control, that all of the events that are occurring are according to the Father's will and his purposes. And, and I'm just going to read for a while. The first six verses you, you should know pretty much by heart of chapter 14. Let, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Why? Because they know Jesus and have seen Jesus. But Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. It'll be enough for us. He says, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? And the words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And he goes on and on and provides these words of peace. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What, who, where does this peace come from? It's Jesus' peace that he leaves us. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. That is the peace that comes from Christ. They have been with him for three years. Everything he has done, he is, they have seen it. They've lived and walked and ate and saw his miracles. And he says, now I'm going to go and give my life. And he says, but I want you to be at peace. Because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I'm doing the Father's will. And this is what he has determined from before we even created the world. This had been planned by him. Back to Philippians chapter 4. 
Don't be anxious for anything. Spurgeon says, having done your best to provide things honest in the sight of all men, take no distressing, disturbing, or anxious thought about anything, but cast your burden on the Lord. Then what do you do? You've anxious for nothing, but you pray about everything. And then you've prayed about everything. What do you then do? You give thanks for everything. Everything? Now, go through the list of things you have received in the last month. Have you been given thanks for all of that? There are some things I wasn't too happy about. But yet, you know, you can look back and say, this is what the Lord was doing. He was using these things to shape you and mold you. And what happens? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard is a military term. Okay? It means to stand at a post and guard against the aggression of an enemy. When your heart knows the peace that passes all understanding, God stands guard over your heart. Okay. It's, it's like Christ, the first person says, Christ is your fortress, peace is your guard. It protects you. It provides for you. It's, and that's the kind of peace that men really want because it's a peace about things that have happened in the past. How many of us are plagued by thoughts from our past? How many of us are plagued about uh, by guilt that, that happened in the past, the things we can't go back and change, but yet they weigh upon our shoulders and they sneak up on us. There you are at night, you're not able to fall asleep, and what happens? Does your mind wander back to things that you can't change? The peace of Christ that passes all understanding provides peace for that. It provides peace for the present, that we might live in a world that looks like chaos around us, but yet we might know this peace and this calmness in our hearts. What's going to happen tomorrow? You can have peace for the future. Yeah, but, but, but Rand, come on, we have to plan and we have to think about it. And we have to... You can have peace about tomorrow. So the peace of God is a past peace. It is a present peace. It is a future peace. It encompasses all areas and all aspects of our lives. And it is peace that comes only through Christ. So the peace that comes through Christ has nothing to do with our emotions, has nothing to do with our surroundings, has nothing to do with our circumstances or environment. If you lack peace, it's not because of your parents, it's not because of your job, it's not because you were raised in a, in a church that kept you on, on, on pins and needles. If you lack peace, it's because of, of your heart. It's, if you lack peace, it's because you're not praying about everything and giving thanks as the Lord commands us to do. Remember Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately wicked. There's nothing, I, I, I'm convinced there's nothing Satan likes to see better than anxious Christians, than Christians who are worried, that Christians don't think that God is in control. I mean, as soon as we stop believing and trusting that God is in control of everything, then we think who has to be in control of it? really want to be in control of everything? You really think you can? You think you can do a better job of, of controlling the things that are going to happen in the future than the one who has made you, the one who knows every hair on your head, the one who loves you enough to send his son to give his life for you? That is the extent of his love, and that is the way that his peace comes into our lives. So let's pray.
Heavenly Father, these are, these are great words for us. That in the midst of what appears to be chaos, we might know peace. It has nothing to do with what's going around outside of us. It has to do with what you are doing inside of us. Make us mindful of this, Lord. That we would put these simple things into practice. That we would put anxiety aside. Not that we're not mindful of things, but we're not anxious about them. That we are praying about everything. No matter how small they are, we're entrusting it into your hand. And we are giving thanks for all the things that you bring into our life. Lord, that the world might look at us and be envying our peace. That that might be an open door where we might declare the peace of Jesus Christ to them. And we pray in his name. Amen.